You're listening to the Tree Council's podcast, Life on the Hedge. In this series, we're setting you on a path to a blossoming career in nature. You'll hear from young people as they start out in conservation, forestry, horticulture and more. We'll give you the inside story on what it's really like and tell you all you need to know to start your own journey in the green sector. We're living in such a scary time with climate emergency, biodiversity crisis. I want to contribute in some way to help protect what is left, basically. And at the heart of our series, hedgerows. These hidden heroes are the UK's largest priority habitat, supporting more than 2,000 species. But more than 50% of our hedgerows have been lost since World War II, and many of those that remain are under threat. With their carbon-guzzling, pollution-absorbing powers, hedgerows are crucial in the fight against climate change. So let's get to know them. On today's episode, meet Katie Morgans and Ruth Moss. Today, I'll be taking you around Turnerstone Court Farm here in Herefordshire with my colleague Ruth to find out how the hedgerows here are such a vital part of life for tenant farmers, the local residents and the wildlife too. And we'll be taking you on a survey to find out exactly how we monitor the animals, insects, birds, plant and tree species flourishing here in our hedgerows. Wellies on? Let's go. Welcome to Turnerstone Court Farm, run by the Countryside Restoration Trust, or the CRT for short. The Trust is a charity that promotes wildlife-friendly farming, and we're aiming to restore a living, working countryside. We're here in West Herefordshire's beautiful Golden Valley, along the edge of the River Door. But it is a little bit windy right now, so let's head inside. I'm joined by Wildlife Monitoring Officer Ruth Moss. We meet in the lodge at first light most days for a dawn wander around our hedgerows, don't we Ruth? Yes, that's right. We meet out here in the beautiful Golden Valley. At the moment, we're in the midst of doing our winter bird surveys, which take place once a month between November and February, sometimes going into March. So we set out at the crack of dawn to count the number of bird species around the farm. Why don't we explain a bit more about our jobs and how we ended up here? So I started my job in January 2021, so I've been working for the CRT for one year now. Before this, I studied international wildlife biology at the University of South Wales. I spent my childhood living on a small organic farm in the middle of the North York Moors National Park. And I think I probably spent more time outside than inside. Our main source of entertainment for me and my siblings was making pretend sandwiches out of dock leaves. So this gave me such a strong appreciation for the natural world, just being outside in it. And I think that's what led me to, to what I'm doing today. My main role is gathering data on all sorts of different wildlife groups, including plants, animals, fungi, to really look into and find out reasons for any changes in population numbers and then relate these results back to farming practices. What I like about my job is that there's so much variety. You know, some days I'm out in the fields counting butterflies. Other days I'm looking inside tree holes for rare beetle species. (laughs) We also work with volunteers on habitat maintenance and monitoring, including sort of citizen science projects. Yeah, so we get up to a huge range of stuff on the farm. So where did you pick up the skills you got to do all these different kinds of surveys? I think I learned the sort of the, the 
basic foundations at university so we'd we'd go out on field work days and learn different surveying methods but it's only since being at the CRT and actually in the job role that I've really learned how to identify different species getting out there practicing it and just just doing it experiencing it yeah and my job is mainly assisting Ruth so any survey she goes out on and then sort of dealing with the data from that excel spreadsheets tables all that stuff and then one day a week I work with the tenant farmers, so that's really enjoyable. That's properly different from what we get up to here. So mostly just sort of running up and down the fields, chasing sheep. I'm currently on my placement year here. I'm going back after this to do another year at uni. Before I came to uni, I did a bit of work on a city farm. So that's kind of what made me want to go into studying zoology at Harper Adams University. I did consider being a vet for a little bit, but then what I realised was missing was the bigger picture. I wanted to work with different kinds of animals. I wanted to work with their habitat and the environment as a whole, rather than just individual animals in individual cases. All right, so that's enough about us. Why is wildlife monitoring such an important part of ensuring farms are managed with biodiversity in mind? So the data and results that come out of these surveys are used to identify any changes, for instance, in population numbers of certain species. This evidence can then properly inform decisions. We are also monitoring the water quality in the river door. So if we see high nitrate or phosphate levels, for instance, we can then adapt accordingly. And wildlife monitoring helps to make sure that the common species remain common and that rare, threatened and endangered species receive better protection. These results can then influence sort of wildlife-friendly projects to help boost biodiversity. For instance, at Turnstone Court Farm in spring, we will be planting native water plants along the banks of the Slough Brook um, with the help of my volunteers to help stabilise the bank but also provide a good feeding habitat for insects and then the other species further up the food chain that, that will benefit. So Ruth, I'm just looking at all the options for my career. So far I know I definitely want to go into working with wildlife and it seems that particularly at the moment there's a lot of attention and investment on like the green sector and environmentally related jobs and all that but why did you choose this job? I mean, why wouldn't I choose this job? <laughs> I get to look at moths and birds for a living. <laughs> my friends have actually started calling me Ruth Moth because I get really excited when a cool moth visits my trap. But no, in, in all seriousness, I, I chose this job for all sorts of reasons. The main driver for me working in conservation is the fact, you know, we're living in such a scary time with climate emergency, biodiversity crisis. I want to contribute in some way to help protect what is left, basically. I mean, I'm also just a bit of a science nerd and I love learning about how different organisms interact and, and how their role fits within the wider ecosystem. And I also find it quite satisfying entering data into Excel and sort of sorting through it all. So now that I've <laughs> revealed myself as a geek, what do you most enjoy about your role? I mean, I think I'm really enjoying being outside every day. Um, there's not many jobs where you can just you get to go on a walk through the countryside and look at wildlife every single day. I think we're really lucky in that respect. And again, like the, I mean, the enthusiasm for nature and wildlife in this job is infectious. I get excited about seeing the most common and like boring animals. I see a squirrel or a pigeon and I'm like, <gasps> I think the variety is important to me as well. There's so much to do with surveying different species, improving habitats, writing reports, and working with the tenant farmers that I really do something different every single day. There's such a range of different habitats at Turner Stone Court Farm. 
There's hedgerows, both short and tall. There's a river on the northeast border of the farm. There's the Slough Brook, the Trinant Brook running through the farm. We also have a small deciduous woodland at the top end of the farm. Uh, got beautiful bracken glades, which have bluebells and other wildflowers blooming in spring. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about our lovely hedgerows. Why are they so important? Hedgerows are absolutely vital in supporting biodiversity. They're actually the UK's largest priority habitat. They provide shelter for small mammals, for amphibians, for reptiles, nesting habitat for birds, food for insects, food for birds, just all sorts of different reasons. Yeah, and I've been talking about the importance of hedgerows with the tenant farmers as well. I mean, they've farmed this land for over 10 years, so they've seen firsthand exactly how the landscape has changed and the, you know, the change in wildlife. So they're always really interested in what we found in our surveys and how they can help support the biodiversity of the farm. The management of their hedgerows is just one of the ways they can do it. And when we're talking about wildlife, we're not just on about birds, are we? They support over 2,000 species, including the hedgehog, loads of European protected species. There's the hazel dormouse. There's a species of bat that use the hedgerow as a pointer to echolocate along. We've got great crested newts, you know, there's so many. Yeah, and not only that, but hedgerows are really important for combating carbon emissions, which contribute to global warming. It's also the habitats they provide. You know, hedgerows divide up fields and create microclimates for species such as butterflies that just can't survive in a windy environment. You know, hedgerows are, they create a windbreak. So why don't we head out on another one of our surveys to find out a bit more about Turnerstone Cork Farm's birds. My name's Jonathan Drury. I'm an author of a couple of books. The first was Around the World in 80 Trees. And then the second was the snappily titled Around the World in 80 Plants. I work with quite a lot of environmental organisations to help them reach the public better. I sort of started out thinking about plants and writing about plants, not because I wanted to make the world a better place, though it's nice if that happens, but actually just because I was incredibly curious and interested in what plants do. And my books kind of entwine plant science with history and culture and folklore. And, and it's that kind of combination that I find very interesting. And then the other thing I love about plants is the crazy, daft, bizarre relationships that they have, not just with each other and with pollinators and animals and so on, but with human beings as well. Human beings do crazy things with, with plants, as well as the sort of important stuff about feeding ourselves. They, you know, they get medicines, they have drugs, they turn things into sort of weird sporting goods. The whole plant world is just full of wackiness. I think it's very easy for people to overlook plants generally because... They don't tend to move terribly fast. And unless you are connected with the land in the way that farmers or indigenous people are, it's all too easy if you're sort of buying food in the supermarket to forget that actually we all depend on plants. That amazing tree that's been around for generations and generations of human life is doing its own thing. We, we just sort of blank it out. If you're a city dweller, you probably don't even notice the, the crops growing in the field or the fruit trees. Plants and trees, they're living their lives in parallel with us. When I was researching the books, I talked to botanical experts, plant scientists and so on, but also historians and, uh, and, and people who knew about folklore. I think that the thing that drove me was just curiosity. If there was one thing I could ask people to sort of think about, that is 
just never stop being curious. Be true to your own interests and be curious. If you think that you just might be interested in a career in environment in some way, the first thing is go and find people who you can talk to. And don't be put off by the fact that they might have a sort of fancy job title or be grand and old. If you go to them and say, I'd like a job, it's very easy for them to say, no, sorry, we haven't got one. But if you go to someone and say, do you know what? I would really appreciate just sitting down with a cup of tea and have a bit of advice. Nobody will say no. Find the organizations that you think are doing interesting things. Look on their websites. Find people that you can go and talk to or just, or just have a phone call with and don't take no for an answer. Cultivate those relationships and be curious about people and, and talk to people before you think you need them. So this is a cider and perry orchard. It's a traditional orchard, so the trees are spaced quite far apart from each other. And it's relatively young, but you know the trees will grow and get older. And there's a variety of different age groups as well, which is quite important. It creates habitat for lots of different species, fungi, birds, insects, bats, because the church, you can see Turner's own churches right there. And you do get bats flying about here. Can you tell us what we're up to right now? Yes, yeah, so we're on our winter bird survey. So it's February now, so we're just using our binoculars to look for any birds in the trees, on the ground, on the grass, in the hedgerows, and also listening out for their calls. I mean, I can't see any right now. It's super windy, so it's not ideal conditions because <laughs> um, they'll get blown away, but we'll see what we can find. So can you tell us what's in this hedge and how can we tell if it's healthy or not? So here you can see oak, ash, elder, older, which is spelled differently. I mean it's, it's healthy, this hedge is made up of lots of tall trees so it's more like a tree line but then at the base of it it's got sort of brambly scrub as well. So it's sort of a, a mixture of two habitats merged into one. But generally a healthy hedgerow consists of quite a thick, dense base and you can achieve this through hedge laying, sort of a traditional um, method, technique used. You know, there's loads of dense branches for nesting birds, but also a sort of space for li little mammals like hedgehogs to be able to move along the hedgerows. Also, it keeps livestock out. And um, why is it important to survey the wildlife here? Surveying the wildlife gives you a good indication of the health of the hedge and sort of if it's doing its job basically. If you've got loads of species of birds, loads of butterflies, loads of bees then it's you know a really good indication that it's, it's thriving in wildlife. So there's lots of exciting stuff on this farm and I don't think I could ever get bored of all the things we see but um, what's your most, I don't know, favourite and most exciting thing you've ever found on the farm? So at Turnerstone we get lots of red starts which are a migratory species. They, it's a bird that flies over from Africa in spring and summer. So we often see them in, along the hedgerows. They're usually in hedgerows which have tall standing trees in as well. I mean there's other species you see that are along shorter, sort of more trimmed hedgerows like yellow hammers and dunnocks, they prefer that. So red starts, spotted flycatchers, seen a couple of those in summer which was exciting. 
on Ornell's farm you see the orchard tooth crust fungus which is super rare species of fungi and it grows on old decaying apple trees and the reason why it's declining in numbers and sort of being constricted to only in traditional orchards which where the trees are allowed to grow old because most sort of modern orchards or most intensive orchards the trees aren't allowed to get to you know past a certain age so it's allowing space for rare species like that fungus to to grow. Well, through studying at uni and doing my placement here, it's really opened my eyes to the way farming and the environment have a big impact on each other. So why are hedgerows important in particular to the conservation on farm landscapes? The main purpose of hedges sort of back in the day was to divide fields up so that stock can be kept in one field and basically for infrastructure on the farm. But there's such important habitats for wildlife as well. So hedgerows are sort of relatively undisturbed. Obviously, they're trimmed quite often, but they provide such like food and shelter and habitat for different species. They also act as windbreaks, creating microclimates, allowing for other species to survive and they can absorb nutrients through the soil as well and sort of act as buffers or barriers. However, they're not feeling like very good windbreaks today. It's a bit windy. <laughs> no, not at all. So our wildlife walks also help decide what kind of hedge maintenance goes on. We don't trim them every year, do we? No, so with trimming hedgerows, it's best to do it every three to four years and, and not do them all at the same time. So if you've got a farm, section it off, sort of virtually section it off into different parts and then do a certain number of hedgerows one year. Don't do them again for three, maybe four years, but then do other sections the following year. If that makes sense? So you've always got some denser hedgerows with lots of fruit, lots of berries, flowering for the wildlife basically. Oh there's actually a grey wagtail above us just sweeping down. Um, you can see it just as it went into the, to the bank of the river. It's got this bright yellow underbelly. Right so here's the last part and it is really important. Hopefully we've inspired a few of you today to consider wildlife surveying and monitoring as a career. Here are top tips to help you get started on your journey. I think the most important thing is getting experience. Definitely trying out everything you possibly can, even if it helps you find out what you don't want to do. I mean, I went on a couple uni visits to a veterinary, meant to see my veterinary medicine, but honestly it kind of showed me exactly what I did not want to do. But even that was still as useful as doing my work experience on the farm because it, it just helps you narrow your career and it really just it can point you in the right direction, the direction you might not think you'd be going in originally. And also, 100%, do not be afraid to talk to people in the field. You'll find that actually everybody knows each other. So, like, your lecturer will know his friend and he has a job in a conservation charity and they're all connected. So, even if you're just talking to someone, you'll get some really good advice and then hopefully as well, sometimes you'll get a good shoe in the door of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And also volunteering, like even if it's at your local nature reserve or just attending webinars, like talking to people, as Katie said, you know, it's going to give you hands on experience where you just can't learn like these skills behind a computer. <laughs> Basically, I've learned so much from my year of working here. It's just incomparable. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Everyone's learning. So good luck. Right. It's getting a bit windy now. Should we head back inside? I think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, thanks for joining us to find out just how hedgerows here in Herefordshire are making our farm landscapes more biodiverse and bird-filled. I love my job in wildlife monitoring, so if you'd like to find out more about what I do, head to treecouncil.org.uk forward slash life on the hedge, where I've pulled together some helpful links and resources. You'll also find some useful tips and advice on the humble hedge and what you can do to help. I hope we've inspired you. And if you found this episode interesting, please share it with a friend and give us a shout out on social media. Don't forget to use the hashtag life on the hedge. You can find more life on the hedge stories from the Tree Council on this podcast feed. How about rating and reviewing our show on your podcast app? Not only does it help people find out about the show, but it also means you can help us celebrate how important our humble hedgerows are to the world. We'd also like to thank the partners who made this series possible. The Tree Council created Life on the Hedge as part of the Close the Gap programme funded by the government's Green Recovery Challenge Fund. The fund is being delivered by the National Lottery Heritage Fund in partnership with Natural England and the Environment Agency. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.